time the children are dismissed to their classes. There's a passel of children here this morning. Most of them are being accompanied by a parent or a teacher. That's always nice. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. These uh, letters written by the Apostle Peter will occupy our attention for the next several weeks as we study through. We'll try to learn better how to study backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, in order to keep all of this good spiritual truth alive in our minds and hearts. So this morning, our primary text will be one verse there in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. But we'll read, uh, we'll, we'll begin with verse 3 and just read on down because there's a shift that takes place in verse 13 and we don't want to miss, we don't want to miss that. So chapter 1 of 1 Peter, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you speak to us. We thank you that you have something in store for us this very day, something that we your people need to hear. I pray that our hearts would be receptive, our minds receptive, Lord, uh, to what you have to say to us, that we would be locked in to you um, and that by hearing and through obedience to your word, we would bring great glory and honor to you and that we would uh, find in this life greater uh, blessing uh, that comes from following you. So your blessing on all of us in this room as we listen and your blessing on the children as they're in their respective classes and they're hearing uh, your word today. We pray for them and Lord, just continue your work among the Auburn Baptist Church family. We pray in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So verses uh, three and following all the way down to verse nine is all that God has done for us. It's overwhelming, just those few verses. And that's, that's why Peter begins there with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter's praise to the Lord. And, and it's praise to the Lord that comes as his readers read what he has written. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. What has he done? He's caused us to be born again. Born again for what? Or to what? To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope. We're born again. We're no longer children of wrath. We're no longer children of disobedience. We're no longer just simply a product of this life, this physical life, but we've been born again by the spirit of God. And now we have a hope. And you look at that and you think, well, what's so great about that? Well, it's a living hope. It's a hope that never dies. It's a hope that begins and ends in Christ. 
It begins and ends in his promises. And we know that there is no end to this this hope that we have in, in him. Because what he has promised, he will bring to pass. So this is what he has done. We're born again to a living hope. And this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you and I have been born again to a living hope. To do what? Well, he says to obtain an inheritance there in verse 4. We're covering some ground that we've already been through, but we want to keep this alive in our minds and hearts. We have an inheritance. And this inheritance will never go away. It will, it will never fade. It will never rot. It will never spoil. It will never rust and corrode. It will never break down. He says it's reserved where? In heaven. For who? For you. You're the recipient of this inheritance because you've been born again. And then in verse 5, we find out that we, the believers... Those born again are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's protecting us. He is guarding us. It's Jesus who ensures that we make it into heaven through eternity. That responsibility is his and he takes it upon himself right there in verse 5. We are told we're protected by the power of God. And then he says, you greatly rejoice in this. And who wouldn't? I mean, this is the best. This is the best news ever. The best news ever is that you would be born once. By being born once, you just face all the calamities of life and then death and then what next? But being born twice, you get to experience eternity. You get to go to heaven. You get to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. We believe in the afterlife. This is what God has promised for those who love him. So we rejoice in this. In fact, it's not an everyday, ordinary rejoicing. He says, you greatly rejoice, even though what? You've been distressed by various trials. And we find out in the very next verse that there's a purpose for the trials. Some of you find that you're in the pressure cooker of life. Perhaps... Your, your family's growing. You, you have, you have children, right? You're involved in parenting and they go through different stages and there are challenges to that. But there are other trials as well. Sometimes, uh, we have to part with those that we love. Uh, they, you know, aging process or whatever happens and we have to part. We experience illness and suffering. And there are other pains in this life. But he says that there's a purpose for the trial. There's a purpose for the pain. There's a purpose uh, for which God puts you in the pressure cooker of life. 
And that purpose is revealed in verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. That's the, that's the trial. Your faith is tested by fire. That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because through that pressure, through that refining, God is purifying your faith. And that's what's important. There's a purpose in all of this. And then he goes on. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And we have this love for Christ. We read the pages of scripture. We read about the stories of Jesus, what he accomplished on the earth. We read his teachings. We hear his parables. We, uh, we read about his miracle ministry. And we're just, we're just overwhelmed by it. But we, we what? We love him, even though we've never seen him in the flesh. Now, the apostle Peter saw him. He saw him do these mighty acts, these mighty miracles. Peter says, y'all haven't seen him, but you love him. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Put those two things together. The outcome of your faith, which is that refining process through life. And you will obtain ultimate, consummate salvation of your soul. And then Peter tells us that regarding this salvation, the prophets talked about it in the Old Testament, in the Old Bible, as they used to say. They prophesied of this what? The grace that would come to you. They made careful searches and inquiries. He talks about the prophets, the apostles. He talks about the spirit of Christ. All of this investment through the years in your salvation. And then he talks about the angels. He says the angels are really interested in this even though they can't experience it. Angels... The only ones who sinned were the ones who rebelled against God. They were cast out. But the angels in heaven, they don't, they don't need salvation. They've not sinned, but they're really interested. He says, he says that uh, the gospel was preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And there, that last phrase in verse 12, things into which angels long to look. Angels are Interested in your salvation. Verse 13. Everybody always asks, well, what are we supposed to do? Everybody always wants to know, well, saved, now what? Now what? What do we do with all that? Well, he tells you, he's going to give us between verse 13 and verse 2 of chapter 2, there are four imperatives. That every Christian, everyone who's been born again, should think about, comprehend, and put into practice. So, I've highlighted them in my Bible. I would encourage you to do the same. 
And I would encourage all of us to keep these things at the forefront. There is something to do. Peter encourages us to do something. And the first imperative is right here in verse 13. He says, therefore. So the word therefore, when you're reading the Bible, when you get to therefore, you can ask, what's it there for? Well, it's there because of what precedes it. Okay? You have, to, you have to have chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 before you get to verse 13. You have to have what God has done and the redemption that God brings to us through Christ before you can get to an imperative. Right here it is. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you a believer? Have you been born again? Do you have that inheritance waiting on you in heaven? You'll be interested in the commands that he brings us. So let's highlight these commands quickly. The first one here is in verse 13. And it'll occupy our attention this morning, but I want to I give you all four commands. The first one is this. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you want to abbreviate that, fix your hope. Fix your hope. That has to do with desire. Where, where are your desires? What is the target? What is the objective of your desires? Are those desires for things of this life? Are your desires for the things of this world? Well, he says as a born again believer, which is redundant to say, he says that we need to fix, he says, fix your hope. And he says this hope which is reflective of a desire, the born-again person desires what? He desires that eternal inheritance that is in heaven. And he makes reference to it here. Your hope, fix your hope completely, fully, extensively on what? On the grace, the grace of God. Well, grace to be brought to you. So there's a grace coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, so there's uh, the first command. The second one is down in verse 14. It's the last part of the verse. Command number two or imperative number two. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So... Fix your hope. And then the second command is to be holy. Be holy. There's a lot there. We'll, we'll track that down in due time. But just so we have a basic idea of the structure here and the commands that are starting to issue forth because we're redeemed. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. God has he's lavished his grace on us. Now, this is what we need to concern ourselves with. He says in verse 14, be holy 
yourselves also in all your behavior. And then on down, we go on down through to verse 22. We have the third imperative statement here. This is to every believer. All of these are to the believers. We are not invited to pick and choose. I'll take two of these commands. I'll leave the other two on the shelf. Nope. All four are important for us in our growth in Jesus and our sanctification. He says fervently, this is verse 22, the last part of the verse, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. Hmm. I like that. And I like to tie that command to that verse, verse six, where he talks about the believer being distressed by various trials. And these trials that we face as believers are not just, they're not just uh, things that may come upon us. I believe the scriptures teach that trials are inherent in the Christian life. In other words, nobody has an easy road or an easy path to walk. I also believe that our trials are different. Uh, I've heard people in talking about various gifts of the spirit. I've heard people talk about gift mixes. God gives this person a couple gifts, this person over here, two or three. I believe that our trials are unique to the individual. You never, you just don't know what somebody else is living through. Now we can broadly categorize the things that folks have to deal with. Loss and illness and this and that. But there's a uniqueness about the trials of life. And, you know, the Apostle James spoke to that. He says, he says when he talks about the various trials, he talks about a color spectrum of trials. They're just various. As, as many colors as there are in the spectrum are the trials that you and I face as believers, and all the more important that we fervently love one another from the heart, from the heart. Powerful command. So I, I remember, I'm reminded of the apostle. How, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Well, no, I, I think Peter learned, he learned a lot. He's writing as a mighty apostle here and he knows the value. He knows how it glorifies God for the children of God to fervently love one another from the heart. One of the things that brings great joy to, uh, uh, to parents is to see children getting along, loving one another. Standing up for one another. Being close to one another. How much more delighted is our God when we fervently love one another 
from the heart. And then the last one here in this section of Scripture is found in verse 2 of chapter 2. We'll read the first verse and the second verse. Just, I just don't want to pick it up in the middle of the verse or the middle of the sentence. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So the command specifically here is long for the pure milk of the word. So if I'm reading this and I'm making application to my life as a believer, when I get to verse 13, I look at this and I say, I need to fix my hope completely on the grace to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I get to verse 14, that last part, I'm thinking I should be holy. I'm being encouraged to be holy in all my behavior. When I get to verse 22, when I read this, fervently love one another from the heart. I'm putting myself in this. I need to be part of the solution of loving others fervently from the heart. He's speaking specifically here of the church, of those who are born again. And it's really, it really is important here. You think about what they were going through. Think about it. They're living in a hostile world. Listen. Living in a hostile world is all the more reason that when we come to worship, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to gather in hostility to one another. We should be, this should be a little slice of heaven on earth where the people genuinely love one another. We're not trying to get a leg up on one another. We're not trying to outdo one another. We do love one another. We love the faithful. We love the family of God. And so, and so when we come to this fourth command, long for the pure milk of the word. Okay, this is good because the Lord is dealing with us concerning our cravings. What are you hungry for? Well, why would you bring it up? You know, the quarter tail. There's something not right about that. What are you hungry for? Well, he's saying right here that you and I should have an extensive appetite for the milk of the word, the pure milk of the word of God. Why? Because this is what nourishes your soul. I've seen a few children around here. They, they want milk. They want food. Why? Because it nourishes their physical bodies. In the same way, we long for the pure milk of the word so that we can be nourished spiritually. 
I mean, I've seen a, I've seen a couple babies in my day, and when they're hungry and when they want milk, there ain't no stopping them. I don't care what you do. You can bounce them, put them in the bouncy seat. You can drive them around town, whatever you think of. But they will not hush till they get milk. Why? Because that's the craving inside. Would that the Lord may raise up folks with a, a true craving, a true longing, a hungering for the word of God. We just can't get enough. Why? Because we're growing. Well, you don't look like you're growing. You look like you're old. Oh, not so fast. You know as well as I do that in the spiritual realm, there is no stopping your spiritual growth. There is no stopping till we see the Lord Jesus himself. We grow spiritually. So I need, as I look at this, I want to long for the pure milk of the word. Listen. Listen, if that longing is not there, ask for the longing. Ask that the Lord would give you that appetite for the word of God. That's really necessary. Uh, Teenagers, uh, kids, ask for that longing for the word of God, the milk of the word of God. All right, those are the four commands. We're going to attempt verse 13 here Shortly and quickly. So therefore, we're in verse 13. He says, prepare your minds for action, which is literally, this is some picturesque speech that comes through here in your uh, Bibles. Gird the loins of your mind is literal. The literal um, wording here. Therefore, gird the loins of your mind. So our translators have, they translate this different ways. In my translation here in the New American Standard, it's therefore prepare your minds for action. And that's good. That's, that's really good, but that takes, kind of eliminates the word picture. We'll get to that in a minute. Then he says, keep sober in spirit. Uh, so that means to be sober. Uh, now's not a good time just to take that spiritually and not physically. It's both. Keep sober. In my translation, in spirit is in italics. It was added to help us make sense of it. I think keep sober um, is regarding our physical and our spiritual life. We'll get to that. And then, then here's the command. Fix your hope. So hope comes through faith. So through faith, we look with hope. That guarantee of the promise of God. That that inheritance will be there in heaven for us. And that we will be with Jesus and we will be with all the saints. He says completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here, we have to involve ourselves in some interpretation of scripture. Specifically, what does, what does this mean when he says to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? And uh, so Erasmus 
He's a guy who lived a long time ago. He said, all this means is the revelation of when somebody realizes that Jesus is Lord. That revelation that leads to salvation. Uh, John Calvin said, the revelation of Jesus Christ is his appearing, his coming at the, at the end. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, and then all kinds of scholars, different, different things. So what I thought of this morning is you can't have the revelation or can't expect the revelation without the revelation. I, I thought that might happen. So, in other words, you have to have the revelation of Christ and who he is in order to expect the revelation of Jesus. But I think here, I think it does lean toward the coming of the Lord. If you look in verse 5, he says that we are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed when? In the last time. If you go down to verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at what? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. That sounds like it's at the end. The revelation at, that happens at the appearing or when he appears. Um, so... I think that I think that settles it, at least in my mind. You can struggle with that if you want, but I think it's we're looking toward the revelation. Hey, this is all this is hinging on our hope, right? Our hope is looking toward the future. The desire to see Christ, the desire to be with Christ in the end. And then he says he tells us how to do this. Um, there are two uh, phrases here that describe how you, com- you fix your hope completely on the grace. By the way, the grace, he's bringing grace with him when he comes. If you're born again, don't expect wrath. He's bringing grace. That's, that's wonderful. That grace is something we don't deserve. But he's bringing his favor to us when he comes. He says to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you do this two ways. First, by preparing your minds for action or girding up the loins of your mind. Now, so he wrote this back in the first century. So back then people wore what? They wouldn't dress like we are. Most of the time they wore robes in that part of the world. They'd wear these long flowing robes. And uh, they looked nice, but when it was time to get work done, it was very difficult. They were, the robes would hinder them. So they would gird up their loins, meaning they would gather the material. Then they would pull it and then they would tuck it inside a belt. This would free up their legs. They could run or they could work. And that's what he's saying here in regard to your mind. So what's he saying? I mean, it's, it is interesting. He's talking about our minds, but he's using this example of apparel in, you know, first century apparel uh, robes. So what's he mean? So if you think about it, he's just saying 
that you need to gird up the loins of your mind. You need to prepare for action. You need to prepare for movement. I think he's saying this. A lot of times we entertain things in our minds that are extraneous, spurious, superfluous. What's all that? Don't matter. There's a lot of things that we are entertained by that we think about that just don't matter. And he's saying, you need to streamline your thinking that is in accordance with being an an exile or an alien in this world and think about God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life, and set your mind and your emotions and your actions, set it all in place to do the will of God. That's what he's talking about. Prepare your minds for action. I mean, our minds can go a thousand different directions. But I think he is saying, think in terms of God and his plan for you. And pursue those plans that God has for you. And then he says, be sober. So be sober. Don't do drugs. Don't drink alcohol. How can you say that? Well, he says, be sober. Uh, Where are the teenagers today? We got teenagers? Be sober. Don't use drugs and don't drink alcohol. Don't do it. I, I know of a specific situation right now. I know of a kid sitting in a jail in middle Tennessee. Because he was a driver. And he wrecked a car. And all his friends were killed. Yeah. And there he is. Be sober. And don't ride with anybody who's not. Okay? I mean, can we say that in church or not? And I know, hey, we live in a culture. uh, We're inundated with commercials. I mean, Peyton Manning does Bud Light commercials. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm saying this on the authority of the word of God. Be sober. Be sober because God's got higher plans for you uh, than this world has for you. Well, that's a great note to end on, isn't it? Let's end on that one. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor for your word. And we thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. We trust that your spirit would prompt us and lead us. And Lord, I pray we take all these commands, all these imperatives to heart. That we would do exactly as you're telling us. That we would fix our hope on you and what you're bringing to us.
when you return. And that we would realize that that there's nothing in that this world or this life has to offer that will satisfy. Outside of Christ, there's nothing. So help us in this regard. If there's one here today who doesn't know you, I pray, God, that they would repent and believe. That they would come to you. Help them at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.